Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. What manifestation is really about is getting aligned to what's actually for us and what would create a more well, more radiant, more joyful life for us. And sometimes the things that we think would be it have nothing to do with what would actually create a more joyful life for us. It's just the things that we think we're supposed to be up to. You're listening to The Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. doing? Good morning. Oh my gosh, it's so pretty today. It's so cool and the sun is shining. I just love it. So yes, I'm sitting here in front of my window in my office looking out on a beautiful scene. Yeah, it's really nice. It really, really feels like fall today, I think. It does. And I'm wearing, this is, we're not being paid to say this, but I am wearing my Nui Organics wool long sleeve today, which it's just a long sleeve shirt, but it's made out of wool. So it's nice and light and it's really nice. It's like crisp enough for, you know, it's going to be mostly in the seventies today, but wool is actually very temperature regulating. So even if it's warm, you don't get too warm. It's funny that you should say that because when I woke up this morning, I was thinking, oh, it's almost time to wear my new thermals, which I love. Yeah. So we had a really cool guest for this one for this week that I can't wait to share with you. And I thought it'd be fun to chat a little bit before we get started about our own experience with the things that we talk about in this interview, which is manifestation and creating the life you want. And we don't do that too, too much on this podcast. We stay more in the sustainability, gardening and regenerative farming lane. But as we say in our intro, for the dreamers and the doers, and I think that a lot of people here in this community can get behind some manifesting and dreaming because the reason why we're all here is we want to make the world a better place and we want to be happier in our lives and have more sustainable lives. So I just think it's fun to talk about that. And I wonder what your experience is with it because growing up with you as my mom, I think that I was exposed to a lot of these ideas much earlier than a lot of people because you were a super (laughs) woo-woo kind of weird mom. (laughs) When did you first come across the idea of like manifesting and what role has it played in your life? I really don't remember when I was introduced to these ideas. You know, these these ideas and these philosophies really go way back. I mean, we call them new age and people tend to associate it with sort of more recent years. But the ideas of your, you know, your thoughts creating your reality go way back. 
And I'm not going to start quoting books and dates and stuff because I'm afraid I'll get it all wrong. But just know that these ideas have been around for a long time. So there are a lot of different, of course, writers and presenters and influencers and all that that have different takes on all of this. And I think probably my own take on it that I've evolved over literally decades. I yeah, guess. I guess I want to know when you first do if you feel like you first I think you've even said like Gran was kind of into it at some point. Oh, okay. Now I'm now I'm remembering something. My grandmother subscribed to Science of Mind magazine that had a lot of these ideas in it. So my mom started subscribing to it as well. It was lying around the house. So I got to read all that stuff. So yeah, I guess that's where the the seeds of these ideas were planted in my mind. And it's just sort of grown since then. So yeah, thanks for reminding me of that. And then I remember you would do vision boards like in the 90s. And I remember when The Secret came out, which I sort of think is the big like kind of our generation's it's, it's a marker of like when it kind of became more mainstream. And I remember very vividly when it came out and you were sort of like, like it wasn't news, but it was more mainstream. <laughs> yes. So I've been playing around with these ideas for literally decades, to your point. And how has it showed up for you with Lady Farmer? Oh, wow. I think, you know, when I think about, you know, back in the very beginning, we were talking about the ideas we had for it and things we wanted to accomplish. I look back on those conversations and I think, wow, we've really done these things. We have really brought them into fruition. And I remember us talking about we wanted to have a community with a lot of resources where people could go and find recipes and books they were interested in and discussion threads and just in resources and instructions for how to do certain things. We've done that and we've really created that. And then way back, we said, oh, we wanted to do a podcast and look, here we are. We're like three and a half years into it. So yeah, I think that our thinking about things in a a passionate way has really paid off. Yeah. So that's Lady Farm specifically, but also I think a really powerful component of that, which is expressed in Lady Farmer, but for you very specifically is growing up, you always really wanted to live in nature. You wanted a house out somewhere and lots of and land and you wanted to do, you know, to spread out. And your life on the farm right now is like, I think a fully manifestation and continues to be, which is really cool because you'll get a creative idea and then you'll put it in place or you'll lay the foundation. And then five years later, you know, something shows up or we're harvesting plums or whatever. And like, it hasn't been fast, like we talk about slow living, but it's just been like consistent visualizing and dreaming. I say this all to say, even though, you know, you and I have been interested in it for a long time, we're not like, I don't think that we are super diehard. You know, we're not doing vision boards all the time. We don't journal all the time. We don't, I don't know. I think some people take it very, very seriously and that's awesome. And they probably get a lot of awesome manifestations, (laughs) but it's pretty simple. And also really surprising when you live with just a little bit more intention and then you look back and see where it has gotten you. It's really cool. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And in terms of like the lifestyle we're living today, yes, that goes back many years of just thinking about it and thinking about it without desperation or a a lot of longing or a lot of feeling like I have to have this now kind of thing. More like daydreaming. I'd say daydreaming. Just picturing what it was I would like my day to look like, what would I like my surroundings to be like. Some of it is pretty specific. And here's one example. My whole life, I've liked to take long walks. 
but I've always lived places where you had to, you know, walk along the street or, you know, maybe cross a busy street or wait on a stoplight or be in the city or... Or get in a car and drive somewhere to walk. Yeah, get in the car and drive somewhere. Exactly. So I would just think kind of casually, kind of daydreamy. I'd like to live somewhere where I could just walk outside my back door and walk for miles without seeing a car. (laughs) And I mean, where is that? You know, where is that? Well, it's here. It's here where I live because we live rurally and there's just, it just happens to be an area that has all these horse trails and walking paths across acres and acres of land as part of this agricultural reserve we live in. And so I get to do exactly that. I get to walk into a state park and walk along a stream and walk through fields and woods and all this stuff. And sometimes I I think about that and think about, wow, how rare this is. And I didn't even know what I was even thinking about specifically back when I was daydreaming about I think it's actually a little trickier now because of social media. And so we're, we have these visual cues all the time and we're kind of addicted to it and all the emotions that brings up. So I think it's a little harder to visualize what you actually want and be in touch with what you actually want without feeling feelings of comparison and like, oh, that's, I don't have that. And so now I feel a certain way. So I think that's kind of a benefit to not having those things, which we did pre 2010 or whatever. And I think that's why it's, really cool to look at the work of people like Andy Alleman, who is our guest today, who works with people on getting in touch with your inner self and your inner life and creating your radiant life, as she explains in this conversation. So all that to say, this week is a little bit different than what we usually do, but it's really fun for us. And I think it's it's a little bit more personal to Mary and Emma's sort of life outside just what we talk about on Lady Farmer, which obviously it's related, but it's more of our personal process. And also related, we are starting the Artist Way group, which I've chatted about a little bit. It's a 12-week book study program of Julia Cameron's The Artist Way. And I think it's a great tool to get in touch with your inner artist and your creativity. And the assignment is that you have to do a lot of daydreaming every day and you have to take yourself on an artist date once a week. And it's really powerful and transformative what happens after those 12 weeks. I did it this spring. We did it with a group in the Almanac this spring and it was so great. So we're bringing it back for a reprise this fall. We're actually starting this weekend. Sunday, September 17th is going to be the intro week. So you don't have to have done any homework beforehand, except maybe get your hands on the book if you can. And if you'd like to sign up, you can go on the Lady Farmer website and all the information is there. And we'd love to see you. So with that, you want to go ahead and introduce the guest? Yes. So as you mentioned, our guest today is Andy Eaton Alleman. She's the founder of We We, a platform dedicated to new school approaches to radiant living. She serves as a sole strategist, working with companies like Google and Pinterest and conscious brands and CEOs interested in fusing soul and spirit into work, which is a fascinating idea. She's also the founder and creative director of the clean beauty brand Casa Noon. She hosts the top-ranked wellness podcast, Your Woo Woo Best Friend, which features practical conversations for attainable transformation. Andy is known for her no-nonsense approach to spiritual wellness and practical advice for living a high-vibe life. Her latest book, Elemental, Nature-Inspired Rituals to Nourish Your Life, is now available wherever you get your books. It's for wellness enthusiasts interested in disconnecting from the digital and reconnecting with the natural world for better health and inner peace. Andy has so many exciting things to offer us in both our personal and professional lives. 
This was such an inspiring conversation all the way through. And I love the way she leaves us with the reminder that you don't have to partake in all the hustle to have a slow, radiant, and fulfilling life. So here's Andy Alleman of Wee Wee Studio. Andy Alleman, and I'm the founder of WeWe Studio, which is an online platform for wellness education through the lens of both personal and professional development. It started as my blog 10 years ago, and I still have the blog component too. And we have writers that focus on wellness and mystical modalities and creativity and nature and travel. So we talk about a lot of things. And it's really it's really through the lens of helping folks to live a more radiant life, truly. And then I also have um, a couple of books out and I have a podcast and I do a lot of consulting in the corporate space as well. My background is I spent over a decade in the beauty industry. I worked for a clean beauty brand before clean beauty was really a thing. It was an Ayurvedic brand. It is an Ayurvedic brand that hasn't changed about the brand. And I worked in marketing and sales and education and operations. (laughs) Over the course of 10 years, I was in a lot of different roles within the company. And I learned so much. And I'm actually in process of developing my own beauty brand that should be out later this year that it's been in process for two years. So it's when I say it's going to be out later this year, that is and my fingers are crossed under the table right now that we get it done. Yeah, but that's my background. I grew up on the East Coast. I live in LA now. I was a really witchy kid. I loved being outside collecting stones and shells and feathers and spell casting without even really knowing what I was doing. But I'd always come home and like tell my parents about these things I was doing in the woods. And we lived in a neighborhood that it was pretty suburban. But to me, it felt really magical. It felt like we were like deep in the forest because when you're little, even if you have like a small, you know, you've got trees around, you just feel like you're really in nature. And that never really left me how great of a experience that was just to be in nature. So when I was writing my most recent book, I really wanted to draw back from that remembrance of that time being a kid, just living and loving being a part of the natural world. So that's a little bit about me. I have a cat married to who I think is quite a dream human. And and that's, that's, <laughs> that's my story. That's awesome. And for anyone who might not be f- familiar already, can you explain just a little bit about Ayurveda? And for instance, like what, like you said, Ayurvedic beauty brand, like what does that even mean? And just sort of the top level, because I think that'll help with the rest of the conversation as well. Yeah, definitely. I love talking about Ayurveda. It was something that I had no familiarity with before I started working in the beauty industry. The brand that I worked for is Aveda. And when I started working for the company, it was still owned by the founder of the company only for a year. And then it was sold to Estee Lauder. So in that first year, I learned so much about Ayurveda. Translated from Sanskrit, it means the knowledge of life. It's an ancient Indian system of holistic healing, well-being, and balance. And so The process is truly a spotlight on total body wellness and also preventative approaches to healing using the natural world to harmonize our internal and external realms. So 
It involves cleansing, detoxifying, and nourishing. All three of those elements are really important in the Ayurvedic lineage. And there's three doshas that you may hear people talk about. It's vata, which is a combination of air and ether. So it, it considers the elements, the natural elements. Pitta, which is fire and water. And then kapha, which is a combination of earth and water. And so the intention in Ayurveda is to balance our elements, to really find equilibrium. And in doing that, we then feel our best and also look our best. And so Ayurvedic beauty, the intention is to create that balance in our system so that we just glow more naturally. So it's not about masking or really correcting skin or hair or the body. It's about finding that balance through that cleansing, detoxifying and nourishing process. And you bring Ayurveda into your current work as well. I mean, your new book has got a lot of Ayurveda principles in it and practices. And so this has been a thread throughout your career here. Yeah, it really has. Learning about it in my early 20s as I took that job in the beauty industry and starting to apply it into my own life, I found that it was really impactful in just feeling my best and being able to live a more minimalistic lifestyle, not have to constantly have things that I was purchasing or filling the beauty cabinet with. And so when I consider how I want to live, the rituals that have been really impactful in my life, I find that the Ayurvedic practices, they're just really beneficial no matter who you are. And so there's a lot of those types of practices in my book. And the book is really intended for folks that are wellness aficionados, but also those that are just like, hey, I just want to feel good. I want a little bit of a disconnection from the phone or from the pace of the digital world or the news cycle or whatever it may be. So in doing that, there's the rituals in the book draw from Ayurveda. They also draw from, God, that's been a big theme in my life too, astrology, and just the general principles of getting outside and communing with nature. I really love how your book takes us through the way that you organize it is by the elements. And there's like a little quiz at the beginning. And my understanding is that the quiz is just there as a fun, like jumping off point. doesn't mean that you like have to do this or that, or you only, and actually I took it and I was like basically half and half fire and air. So I was like, I was stressed. I was like, well, which one do I do? And I was like, well, I'm sure I can just do all of these or pick and choose. But so it's really, but it's really fun because as someone who I think a lot of people can relate to. To this too. There's sort of this never ending like search for like the right morning routine that's going to like set you straight or like the thing that's going to make you either what, whether it's more productive or more connected to yourself. And I think the reality is, is that there's lots of things that can do that and that will shift over time and even throughout the year and even probably throughout the week, like for some people, it might not be the exact same thing every day or all the time. So I really love how that but just the principle of the ritual, even if those rituals change, is just something that's so it's as old as humanity itself. So it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. And the quiz is really intended exactly how you said it. It's intended to be a jumping off point. What I would love to say is follow your intuition and practice the rituals that feel best for you. And a lot of people then would say, I don't quite know how to do that yet. Can you give me a little bit of guidance as to how to do that? And that's really normal for the world that we're living in. Ancient humans had such an intimate connection to nature, to the cosmos, to the sun and moon cycles, to their inner wisdom, to their intuition. And we've lost some of that. So 
in putting the quiz in the book, the intention was, okay, let me help you to find some of the first practices that may resonate for you and try those out and then just play. Just play and see what starts to really land with you. I am such an advocate for I'm kind of like an anti-morning routine person, not that I don't have one or that I don't think it's important for you to find yours, but it becomes, I think, so prescriptive that we start doing things for the sake of checking it off of our daily task list. And then all of a sudden, it's like, we don't feel great about ourselves if we have a morning where we need to like sleep in and take a nice long walk versus like get on our yoga mat and meditate and like have a green juice. And so then we're like, you know, still doing something that is very important for our well-being, sleep and movement, but we don't necessarily notice that that was actually intuitively what we needed if we don't follow some structured routine. So I recommend that you do you, that you find the routine or the rituals that are our best practices for you. And sometimes it takes us some time to really figure out what those are. So in the book, each section is broken into rituals for nourishment, rituals for grounding, and rituals for a glow. And that glow is an inner glow and an outer glow too. And so you can kind of play and just think about what do I really need right now? Am I feeling really intense and like a little flighty and like I'm not really focused? Well, maybe try some of the grounding rituals. Am I feeling like a little sluggish and that I maybe like my skin isn't really glowing like I would like for it to? Well, maybe do some of the glow practices. For the nourishment practices, it's like do you just need to take some good care and put something nourishing in or on your body or in your realm? And I personally am constantly changing the rituals that work best for me. Truly seasonally, they change. Sometimes weekly, they change. What I know is I want to be in practice. That's what's important and what they are can shift as often as they need to. I like hearing that you're flexible with these rituals. And also, I'd like to say that use the term rituals. The name of the book is Elemental Nature-Inspired Rituals to Nourish Your Life. But rituals, as you point out so well, don't have to be elaborate. You don't need a bunch of things and accoutrements to perform a ritual. A ritual can be as simple as sitting in the sun as you, and that's, that's one of your rituals. And so no one needs to be intimidated by that, that term or thinking, oh my goodness, I don't, you know, I don't have time for all these things to go through. It's, it's not that. It's actually, I would just say it's a way of framing things we do that we might do without even thinking about them but sort of setting them aside as something intentional and something purposeful. Totally, totally. I think sometimes we think that rituals can only be, it's only the good stuff. Our rituals are anything we're doing with repetition or intention. And so, you know, sometimes I get on my husband a little bit because one of his morning rituals is waking up and getting on the phone. And I remind him like, hey, that's not a commitment that you want to have to yourself, right? But it's what you're doing. You're doing it as a repetitive action. And you know you feel better when that isn't a ritual (laughs) that you're practicing. So what can you do that has intention that makes you feel great? And then he's like, oh, yeah, I want to get out and take a morning walk or just go stand outside in our backyard and like take in the flowers in the garden and the birds. That's a completely different. We're choosing ritual oftentimes without even noticing that we're making the choice when we're doing something on repetition. So my intention in packaging up a book of rituals is really to give us more intention and opportunity to choose things that will, in fact, make us 
feel great. And it does not require that you join a gym, that you have a, you know, a bunch of tools at your disposal that you have, you know, a specific mat or specific crystals or specific tonics and tinctures. It can literally be stepping out into the sunshine. One of my very favorite rituals, and I do this every afternoon that I possibly can, is just getting outside and putting my feet in the grass. And when I have a little extra time, I like to go put my feet in the grass and have a cup of tea. And so that means I'm going to sit in the grass for at least the 15 minutes that it takes me to sip that cup of tea. And that is just a complete energy changer for me. And it's truly one of my favorite practices and does not require anything except for my ability to get outside and on the chance that I can also have a cup of tea even better. So I think that's really important to think about too. How would you describe the difference between ritual and habit if there is one? How do they overlap and how do they differ? Mm, That's such a good question. And I don't know if I've really thought about it a whole lot. I think habit ultimately begins to inform our ritual and then vice versa, our ritual practices inform our habits. But I think our habits can often be really unconscious. And I I think like in that example of like getting on the phone in the morning, that's a habit Then, then over time when you become really aware that this is the thing I'm doing and it doesn't make me feel good, but yet you continue it, now you've made a conscious decision to create a ritual in your morning that isn't serving you. So what can you do to to release that? So I, I think habit oftentimes starts a bit more unconsciously. And then on the flip side of that, we can... I love this concept and it's a it's a fairly newer concept of habit stacking. So that's like choosing consciously your habits, which ultimately then becomes ritual when you're putting a group of habits together that perhaps may be a bit more challenging. So for example, I'm taking a new probiotic right now and I want to make sure I remember to take it every morning well before breakfast because it's like better if you take it with an on an empty stomach. So my habit stack is One of the things I never miss in the morning is I always wake up. First thing I do is brush my teeth and do some tongue scraping with my Ayurvedic tongue scraper and do a quick facial dry brush. So now my habit stack is to put my probiotics right next to the brush. So I see that right away. And unconsciously, I'm going to go for it because it's it's right there. But it's like I had to create I had to create that little system for myself to not forget to do it. Whereas I think the rituals become a bit more intentional and practiced. So those habits can turn into that. But I think at first, they're, they're typically a little bit more on that unconscious side of things. Yeah, that makes sense. We like to ask people if they've ever had an aha moment about what they did. And sometimes this leads to some really interesting and great stories. If you do have one, great. If you don't, that's fine. I love a good aha moment. I kind of have them all the time. I am like a constant thinker. I'm very much someone who's like in forever process of like my surroundings and what's going on in my mind and what's going on in my heart. So I also am like a deep believer in the the process and the practice of manifestation. So I think sometimes my manifestations and my ahas go together. I have one that I'll share with you that this was definitely an aha and a manifestation all at one time. So this was at the end of, let's see, end of 2020, my husband and I were making a decision to move to California the short version is we had been living between Nashville and New Orleans. New Orleans is really home for both of us. And he is a music producer and musician. And at the time, he was doing a ton of touring. He was on the road all the time. Well, this is now end of 2020. He'd obviously not been on the road for all of 2020. And despite what 2020 was, we're having this awareness that we didn't want him to have to go back out on the road. The entirety of our relationship, he had been on the road. And we were 
really enjoying the fact of having this time together at home. And when we knew that it was coming, that he was going to have to be going back on the road. So we're making it the decision to move to L.A. so that he could be in the studios more and on the road less. That was ultimately what we knew we would need to do in order for his career to to pivot that way. We're like really rolling this over in our minds. We're, we've got like pros and cons lists for L.A. and like whether we should stay in in Nashville, if we, we had a lot of things we were in consideration of. And it was still sketchy enough in the COVID times that we weren't really comfortable getting on a plane and flying to LA and looking for a house. We we're like, okay, one of the things that would need to happen for us to say yes to this is we would need to find a house that has room for him to have a music studio, that has space for us to have a garden. And one of the things I had written on my list was it needs to be a space that induces creativity through the natural environment. Yet it needs to be in the middle of LA because he needs to be able to get around and work. So like, and we did not want to spend a bajillion dollars on this place. We knew that it was going to be expensive because California is expensive, but we wanted to make sure that we felt comfortable with the decision we were making. So the both of us really got into a place of like, the right thing will show up for us is if this is really for us. And I was checking Trulia and Zillow and all the platforms like every single day. And I found this place and it was interesting because it's the house that we live in now, but it was the the picture was the backyard, not the front of the house, which I thought was really interesting to start with because it was highlighting the fact that it had a lot of these elements that we were really interested in. It was like highlighting the flowers and the nature first. And so I thought that was really interesting. And yet it was still in the middle of the city. And so we reach out to have a conversation about this house. And there's like, something like 300 people interested in the house. And we're like, this is crazy. Like, we're not going to get this house. And we're told right away that there's a showing happening that weekend. This was like on a Thursday. It's like the showing's happening in two days. You would need to be here. And we've already selected the 10, 15 folks we're going to show to. And, and you were too, you're too late, basically. I love it when they say too, like, we will be accepting applications starting uh-huh. or offers. <laughs> we will be accepting right. offers starting the Monday after uh-huh. the showing. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. You're like, okay. (laughs) So we're like not even going to get to see the house. And then we get a message a week later on Friday that we are now invited the next day, the next Saturday to come see the house. So we're like, okay, they didn't choose any, and I'm using air quotes, but they didn't choose the 10 or 15 people that came last weekend. And now they want to see us tomorrow. And I certainly was not going to say, well, you know, we don't have the ability to get on a plane and get there tomorrow. So I found a friend of a friend to come to the showing on our behalf. And she's got us like on FaceTime and she's like showing us the house. And they're like, wait, what's happening? Like, oh, you're not the person. And she's like, no, here she is. Here the, here's the couple. <laughs> so we don't even know this woman that's like helping us out. She's just a friend of a friend who's being like so gracious. The aha moment happens when at the end of it, they're like, okay, we're showing showing to like 30 more people. And then I'm in my meditation practice like three days later And I just felt it fully in my body that like this house was going to be ours. I just knew it. And like everything about the stress that I'd had around like, oh, it's not it's it's impossible. It's not going to be for us. I just was like had this moment of like getting quiet with myself and like it's going to happen and we will move to L.A. and it will be for us. And I finished that meditation and I opened my email on my phone. I like grabbed my phone and we had an email that the couple that owned the house wanted us to have the house. Oh my gosh. And it was just, it was incredible. It was like, we didn't even meet them face to face. They just had this vibe about us and how we would take care of it and what was important to us. And 
they were creative people too. And the things that they loved about the house were the same things that were really important to us about the house. So I think the aha for me was that moment of just like letting it go and knowing that like, if it's for you, it will be, it will be. And trusting that process of surrender and allowing what's for you to find you in the time that it's supposed to find you. And that was that was it. We made the decision. We moved to LA. We we never saw the house in person before we got here, but we just knew. We just knew it was it was for us. And now we've been here for three years. So. Oh my gosh! So, what was the groundwork you laid like in your mind or in your practice or in your meditation to let that in? I'm just curious. Like you know, you you, you hear so much about manifestation, and it's all about just repeating something in your head over and over, or you know, visualizing, but really don't understand that visualizing has to, there has to be more or what visualizing is. So I'm just curious. And how did you lay the groundwork for that experience to unfold like it did? That's extraordinary. What a great story. Yeah. Thanks. It's fun to reflect back on it too. And think about, you know, how much our lives have changed from that time to now and how much we just love being here too. And it's, we, we talk all the time about like, we're never moving. Like, this is just like the perfect place for us. Why would we ever go anywhere else? So much of that is because of the space that we're in. I think the process for me, I'm a pretty good manifester. I'm, I'm pretty good at like finding my way into attracting what I truly believe is aligned for me. And that doesn't mean I get everything I want. That means a lot of times that, you know, I have to be, I have to be in an, in an understanding that who is my little brain to know exactly what's for me at every single moment. So there's a lot of releasing to the process that I try to practice. So the first thing I always do is think about what is my current belief around this thing, whatever it might be. If I believe it is possible, if I believe it's for me, then perhaps it will be. So I start with just getting aligned to the belief of this could be a thing for me. So in the case of the house, it was like, do I believe that this particular house with the garden and a studio for my husband that a place that invokes a lot of creativity and still allows us to be really close to all the things we want to be close to is this for us? Can I believe in this as a thing for me? And and I think in that particular example I got to a place where I was like, yes, this is this is a thing I can believe to be possible for me. So then I look at any places in my mindset that like maybe I'm blocking myself from truly truly feeling into that belief and just do a little bit of work on that. And that might be journaling, just breathing through it, noticing things that come up. And then I also love creating a manifestation detailed bullet point list. So like one of the funny things about the house was I put on my list that the house that would be for us would have a big tub. So I was thinking bathtub. I was like, I really want a big tub. And so I get really detailed when I put these things on the list. The funny thing that happened is our house has a built-in hot tub. So when I saw the house and I saw the big tub, I was like, oh, cute. This isn't <laughs> the big tub I thought I was going to get. It's a hot tub. Also a big tub. And I absolutely love it. But I wouldn't have thought of that. But it was kind of like this little wink to myself that like, oh, what, what you're looking for, this is possibly it. So I get really detailed and write my list because I think it's really important to get clear on what it is that you that you're calling in so that you can start to see it start to identify that oh yep this is it this is what's coming for me so that's another thing that i think really was helpful to me in that process it was like i want flowers i want a garden we want a studio we want a lot of natural light we want the house to feel really warm and inviting i also want a big tub so like those were the things on my list 
I practice a lot of detachment from the outcome. And I think that's a big part is when we start to get into that, like, oh, this has to be it. This is it. This is it. If it's not this, then like everything is not right. When we start kind of like clawing our way towards the thing and we're not able to just kind of be in flow, which is hard to do sometimes, especially when we are really, really wanting a particular thing to be the thing for us. That process of just letting that detachment happen, I had definitely gotten to a place where I was like, I'm letting it go. And if it's for us, it will happen. And and as I went into that meditation practice that night, I remember being like, all right, I'm letting it go. I'm releasing it. it. If it's for me, if it's for us, it will be. And there's nothing else I can do at this point to make it happen. You know, there's nothing I can do to push it forward. So I had done everything I needed to do. I'd had a good conversation over FaceTime with the couple that lived here. I had sent someone to tour on my behalf. I had sent all the documentation that I needed to send. So we'd done everything we needed to do. There was nothing else left to do except for to release the outcome. And I think that's a big part of the process too, is being okay with releasing the outcome and knowing that what's for you will find you. And sometimes it's not going to turn out the way you want it in the timeline that you think it should. But I think when we can recognize that our timeline may be different from what what is actually going to be the best for us, then that's really helpful too. Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com. Why do you think that we get so attached to outcome? That's such a specific difference, I think, between what manifestation actually is to my understanding and what people like think that it is. But I think that's really kind of the crux of it. And why is that so hard for us? Because we're humans, I think. <laughs> because we're just humans. And we do. We get so attached to what we think is what we should be doing, what we think should be for us, what the next step should be. And a lot of that is just how we've, especially in Western society, it's how we've been conditioned. Like you're supposed to do this next, this next, this next, and you need to check this box, this box, this box, and you will be rewarded and acknowledged in these ways when you do these particular 
set of things. And so I think that contributes a whole lot to the attachments that we have because we we believe that there is a way and sometimes it's really hard for us to be open to, well, maybe there are other ways. And when we can get into the flow of exploring the other ways, much greater things, in fact, can happen. You know, it's kind of how we're, we're wired. And it is quite a practice to release attachment. It's it's such a practice. And it's and I think that truly is what manifestation is really about is getting aligned to what's actually for us and what would create a more well, more radiant, more joyful life for us. And sometimes the things that we think would be it have nothing to do what would actually create a more joyful life for us. It's just the things that we think we're supposed to be up to. Yeah, I think sometimes we get in our own way, don't even realize it. And an important thing, I think, in my experience as a tree member, is these things we think we want, we're after a feeling or a way of being, and we've predetermined what the path to that is. So that's why we want this thing or this circumstance, when really what we really want, the feeling, the way of being, can be accessed another way or a better way. Yeah, so, so true. And, you know, I think back to my 20s and my life in corporate. And if you had asked me what I wanted to manifest then, it's so different from what I want to call into my life now. And at that time, it was, you know, I was climbing the corporate ladder. I wanted to be rewarded financially. And, you know, there is a point in in our development as we're like, as we're becoming adults, that we do need to figure out how are we going to make money? We live in a capital capitalistic society. So we have to figure those things out. But the things were like bags, shoes, parties. That's the stuff I cared about in my 20s. And like going to a great restaurant. And like, that's the stuff today that like, I couldn't even, you know, like, sure, do I like, like to look cute and have on a cute pair of shoes if I'm like going to a party? Sure. Like, sounds good. <laughs> like, am I like, is it on my manifestation list or my vision board? Absolutely not. But at the time, that's what I thought was it for me. And it took some like, big pivots and, you know, kind of like, you know, jumping off the cliff type moves to like get really open to what actually would create a more joyful life for myself. Why do you think so many people are kind of intimidated by the idea of manifestation? I, I feel like some people kind of get defensive about it. Like, are you saying I create everything bad that happens to me? And I don't know, do you have anything to say about that? Or does that get too? Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, I think that's there's a lot to think about around that. And there's a couple things that come up for me when we talk about that particular part, like, am I creating everything bad that may happen for me? And one of those things that I think is important to call out is, you know, we do live in a society where there's a lot of oppression, that there's, there is historically, folks have been held down and have not been able to create a joyful future, not on their own accord and any, and any stretch of the imagination. And I think that's an important thing to call out. I, I get a little like, I don't love the type of manifestation talk that's like, whatever you want can be yours if you just put your mind and soul to it at the highest level. Because I don't think that is that is actually true, because I think that we do live in a society in, in which people are not given that opportunity often. And I also think that we have a lot of opportunity to shift the way that we're living and that we we can create a better future for ourselves by doing some work on our mindset and doing some work in our habits, our rituals, and the way we take action around things. And it doesn't mean it's going to 
play out equally for everybody because that's just not the world that we live in. So do I think that like if someone's got a lot of bad stuff going on, that it's all their fault? Definitely not. And I also think sometimes we do bring some stuff on ourselves and we are kind of manifesting all the time. And if we are noticing that like, you know, I'm not quite getting the jobs that I want. I can't quite find the apartment that I want. The relationships that I'm getting into, they're toxic. They're not they're not good for me. Those are the types of things that I think we can make good impact on with a shift in our thinking, our practices, the actions we're taking. Yeah. I think this is a good opportunity to add in another layer. So we've talked about Ayurveda and manifestation. And I know that you do a bit of work around human design. That's something that I really love and I'm super interested in. And I don't know if we've talked about it really on this podcast at all. So if you could also give us a top level sort of intro to human design and what that is and how that plays into your work. Yeah. Human design is so cool. It is. There's it's so in-depth. There's so much we could talk about when it comes to human design. It's like a combination of astrology and Kabbalah and the I Ching and genetic coding. It's the idea that ultimately your soul has a plan and your soul has the opportunity to, to live a really spectacular life and that we each have very specific coding around our talents and our gifts and we also have specific coding around our energetics. And so there's a lot of things you can look at on a human design chart. There's a couple of types, manifestors, manifesting generators, generators, projectors, and reflectors. And sometimes when you hear that, you think, oh, well, then only this one type of person can actually manifest. And that is because it's the, there's a type called manifestors. But that's not, in fact, true. They just happen to be really good manifestors, that group of people. So the five types are, that's where you start. And then you can break down. And it's kind of like astrology in that way, where it's like, okay, you're a Leo or an Aries or a Gemini, but that's like certainly not the not the end of it. There's so much more to it. So you look at the type and then you look at strategy and authority. And the strategy and authority is all about helping you to make decisions. None of it's prescriptive. None of it's like, if you are a projector with emotional authority, then you have to do these particular things in order to live your best life. It's not per prescriptive that way. It gives you a lot of insight into how just how you're going to move through the world, making great decisions, energetically taking good care of yourself. And then there's a part of it that I really, really love, which is on the charts, there's a section that when you look at it, it's like a body graph. And there are what what's called the gates and channels. And the gates and channels are super unique to each individual person and they highlight your natural talents. So, you know, everyone's kind of got those things that you're like, you know, they're just really gifted at X, whatever the thing might be. Like they have a natural ability to express through words or they have like a, a gift of music. My husband is one of those people. He has this like natural ear for music. And on his chart, there is like a, a part of his chart that says that like he's naturally inclined to the auditory and specifically through creation, through musical expression. So you can find all that stuff on your chart, which is really, really cool. And the way that I love to use the charts is to really do a lot of good affirming work. So you start to see like, okay, energetically, I maybe not am built to work a nine to five. Maybe I need to do a couple of hours in the morning and then I need to go disconnect or reconnect with disconnect from from work, reconnect with nature, get recharged, 
and then go back to it and do a couple more hours of work or practice something creative or something that I find a whole lot of passion in in order to be my most effective self and not feel burnt out at the end of the day. So I think that's a really great way to use human design is to notice your energetic makeup, how you best flow through the day, what your talents and gifts are, how you can best make decisions. And that's a good place to start with human design, I think. Yeah. So just so we can sort of conceptualize it, like, for example, can you give us your human design and like how that manifests? Yeah, for for sure. I am a manifesting generator and I have um, sacral authority, which means that my decision making process, well, I'll back up manifesting generators first are like the multi hyphenate type of people. They're multi passionate. They are, which is at the beginning of our conversation. I was like, I don't really know how to like wrap into a bow what I'm up to. That's typically how manifesting generators are they kind of have this unending source of energy because of that sacral chakra motor. So it's like there's just constantly energy being fed into the manifesting generator's body. And so as long as manifesting generators are pursuing something that they're truly lit up by and not getting like distracted by other things, they can go forever. And like time becomes, you know, obsolete for them. They just are excited to do the work. So that's I have that first manifesting generators, my type. Then my authority is, as I said, sacral authority. So that means my decision making really needs to come from my gut. And that's really hard for people. But most of us have either sacral authority or emotional authority. So we should make decisions by checking in with our emotional well-being and or for me, it's the sacral. So it's that gut feeling. Most of us as humans are making decisions in the head. We're we're processing things from a place of logic. And that's where we've like lost that connection to our intuition. And for most of us with human design, we can find where that intuition shows up in our body. So for me, it's that sacral space. Really checking in with my gut will give me the best guidance typically. Then on the chart, there is a profile as well. And my profile is 1-3, which is the establisher of knowledge and truth, which basically means that I am someone who is constantly seeking out new types of learning. I want to find the deepest connection to what is the greater truth and share that from a place of letting my wisdom be expressed to my community and to those those folks around me. And of course, before I knew anything about human design, I was very much that person who was like, let me take another class. Let me get another certification. Let me let me read another stack of books on this topic, whatever the topic might be, very much in my chart. There's another part of the chart, which people don't talk about a lot, called the incarnation cross. And it's very much about purpose. My purpose is deeply t- tied to expression of self. So doing that for, for me, of course, expressing myself, but also helping other people to express themselves to really tap deeply into who they are and find the best ways to express that. And that's also very aligned with the work that I do. I help people through personal and professional development. And even in something like my book, it's about helping you to feel your best. And ultimately, what I want for you when you feel your best is to be able to show up as your highest self. So that's very much in my chart, too. Yeah. So that's kind of the high level stuff from my chart. It's crazy how much there is and how detailed it can get. Yeah, it is. There's a lot to that. Is is part of your business like helping people create their own charts or tell us more about your business? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. 
So when I'm doing consulting work or doing any sort of when I'm doing a retreat, for example, or when I'm doing um, coaching or coursework, I incorporate human design as a big part of it. And what I will typically do is I work with a lot of women who are business owners or they're artists creating creating a plan to make money through their artistic expression. So it's a lot of a lot of folks like that. And so one of the things that I will have them do is do a, a bit of a deep dive into their chart so they can really identify their gifts and talents, their energetic makeup, how they can best make decisions. So we start with that often, depending on what it is that I'm doing with that particular person. But I, I think it's really important to start with because typically we're especially when we're thinking about ambition, we're thinking like, I got to work all the time. I've got to really hustle hard. I got to like make all the connections. And for most of us, that's like not in fact the best approach. And we're going to burn out because of that approach. So I love using human design in that way in my business. So in WeWe Studio, we have online courses that people can just download and they will get a, a touch of human design in those courses. And then I do a lot of deeper work with my one-on-one consulting clients. So in that case, it's typically CEOs that are really interested in approaching work from a different angle, from that angle that is not about hustling to the top and really considering soul and spirit and creativity as a part of their business model. So that's a, a lot of what we're doing in, in WeWe Studio and how we're using human design as a part of it. Cool. On your website, you say you are a conscious... CEO with a thriving soul-led business. And I thought that was a beautiful statement. I want to hear you say more about that. What, is, what does it mean to be a conscious CEO with a thriving soul-led business? Yeah, thanks for noticing that. Yeah, I think when we think about conscious business, it's back to that conversation we were having earlier about living in a capitalistic society. I think it's it's there's tends to kind of be these like silos where it's like either like you're pro-business or it's like business is bad and like capitalistic societies are bad. And I don't subscribe really to either of those schools of thought where it's like hustle to the top and like take no prisoners and do do whatever it takes to like be at the pinnacle. I don't subscribe to that. And I don't subscribe to the like inherently all business is bad or, or all people working to make money and find success and ambition are are bad. I think where I like to make an impact in my own business and my with my own team and then with the companies that I work with is to really consider what is the impact that we're making for the people here that are a part of this business? What is the impact we're making with the products that we make or the services that we're creating? Are we being mindful of how we do that? So whether that's from a place of sustainability and eco-consciousness and also how we treat people and how we ultimately what the working environment is all about. I think that's really important to consider when we're, we're thinking about conscious business, thinking about legacy and what you're leaving behind in a business, I think is really important too. And I love starting, I actually was just leading a corporate retreat a couple of weeks ago. I love starting with when we're talking about conscious business, we're thinking about what are your values, your personal values, and do those align to your business values? What is your vision? Ultimately, what is your why? That's the vision. What's your mission? That becomes the what. Like This is what we're going to do in this company that aligns back to 
those values that we expressed first? And then what's the legacy we're leaving behind? And is it something that we can be proud of? And if we're considering all of those things, values, vision, mission, and legacy, we're typically going to show up in the realm of business making decisions that we can feel proud of at the end of the day, that we've made made good things happen for people, for planet, for each other in the environment in terms of, you know, the conversations we're having inside the business. And that's all really important to me. And then when we talk about doing that from a soul place, I think that's the following the threads of what just takes you to the path of your highest purpose. And Sometimes that's really hard in business because we're looking at like, what's the trend? What is happening here? What's what's selling the best? When we really show up from a place of soul inspiration, we're going to we're going to meet the people we need to meet along the way in terms of customers and, you know, employees or team members. They're going to have that connection to us in a really aligned way. So I I think those are the things that are really important to me when it comes to conscious business and living and leading a a business from a soul perspective. Wouldn't it be great if everyone did that? (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's it's so would. It's so would. And people ask me sometimes like, how can you, how can you work with corporate entities? Like, doesn't that feel bad? Like helping companies that are like pocketing lots of money? Like, doesn't that feel dirty? And my feeling is I want to help them to think more this way. So if I can go into a room a boardroom with executives and do some work to get them to shift their thinking to be a little bit more this way, they're going to exist anyways. Like they're going to be doing their thing anyway. So if I can get into the room and help to shift the thinking or help their their senior managers or their decision makers shift their thinking, I've done something good. I've made an impact in some way. This is so fun because these are all things that I love to think about and talk about from, um, you know, because we have the business and I love human design and I'm a creative person. I have other pursuits and interests. I'm always thinking about these things, but we rarely bring them on the podcast. So I'm really excited about like, this is a fun kind of peek into my own personal interests. Speaking of, I was able to pull up my own human design. I'm a projector. I've known that. And I have G center authority. I don't know what that means. Yep. Okay. So project, I love projectors. They're so projectors are really special. Emma, my husband's a projector. My best friend's a projector. So the cool thing that projectors can do is they are able to really see deeply into the soul of others. So that idea, the name projector, it's like you can look and then project what's truly going on with someone into the experience And sometimes for other people, that can be a little intimidating. So there's this, you'll notice on your chart, it says you're supposed to wait for the invitation for things. And really what that means is before you go deeply into someone's soul and notice things that they perhaps don't even notice about themselves, allow yourself to be invited into that conversation with them. So it's not that you need to be invited to do the things that you want to do in life. It's more about how you engage with other people. Projectors are typically really artistic and creative, and they're reflecting a lot of what's going on in the world and then bringing that into how they create, how they show up. Projectors are also not meant to work nine to five scenarios at all. They need a lot of time to recharge. You don't have a natural energy center. So your energy is derived from your surroundings. So that could be, and that could be in a lot of ways. So that could be through nature, that could be through music, that could be through art. 
anything that lights you up, that's how you're going to get recharged. So like my husband has a projector when he's working, if he's noticing that energy depletion, he needs to definitely like go get outside, take a walk in nature, get some restoration that way. Or another really good thing for him is going and seeing art, like going to a museum or a gallery and getting re-inspired that way. And then he can, can get back to work. But if he's like, I need to go get into the studio at 8 a.m. and I need to work until the project is complete. His creative spark is not going to light up that way. So that's very much a projector thing that you need to like look at what lights your creative spark. And then the G-Centered Authority, that's a pretty unique one. That's really about tapping deeply into self and what you believe to be in alignment with self and noticing how does this resonate with my perception of who I am? That's a part of how you make the best decisions. Okay. I have to do some meditating on that one. <laughs> how do I find out what I am? There's this birth chart, right? Kind of like you said, like astrology. It's all like when you were born. Yeah. yeah, it's based on your birth chart, just like astrology. And then it pulls in all these other other things. And you'll see on your chart as you're looking at it, Emma, there's like these numbers down either side of the chart. There's so many things on the chart. It's wild how much is on the chart. So like the numbers on the left side are where the planets were aligned to your specific talent lines. So all those numbers represent a specific talent point and then the planetary alignment to that talent point. And on the left side, it's called the unconscious side. And it's said that those were the talent points that your soul brought into, basically brought into your baby body in the womb about 88 days before you were born. So it's basically like, these are my soul gifts. And then on the right side of the chart, as you're looking at it, you'll see those numbers and planets again. Those were the talent points at the moment you were born. So those were more of like the ones that you supposedly consciously chose to bring into this lifetime. Okay. I have a question. And I think I remember now why I haven't done this because our friend that does it, it says what time of day you were born in. I'm, I'm not sure. It doesn't say on my birth certificate and my parents don't remember. So what if you don't know the time of day you're born? If you don't know the time of day that you're born, you're still going to get a pretty close reading. There's a couple things that are going to be a little off, like in your birth chart in astrology, like your moon, your moon sign may be off depending on what time of day you're, you were born. But for the most part, you're going to get a really good picture in your human design chart. You may have a few things that are a little, a little bit different depending on what time you're plugging it in, morning or night. But for the most part, you're going to get a pretty close reading. So I think, you know, plug in middle, you know, plug in 12 noon. I know it's afternoon, but nobody seems to know what time. It, yeah, yeah. So then like plug in like two o'clock and you're going to get really, really, really close. It's so crazy. It seems like science fiction. And then you actually read it and you're like, wait, this applies so much. <laughs> it's really true. I mean, and if you know the story of like how this modality came to be, you might question like someone's like, you know, it's like, are you sure you really are into like want to be into this? This seems weird. So the guy who established this system, it was in the 80s. So he was like he was like a marketing guy who like lived in Connecticut. And then he had this like spiritual awakening moved to I think he was like in Ibiza or Mallorca, one of those places was like on an island in Spain. And he supposedly was doing some sort of meditation practice and got called to do some sort of like deep meditation within some like cave. So he like goes into this cave and he ends up being there for several days. And he says that the system basically like 
downloaded into his mind. And he's not claiming originality when it comes to like the birth chart part or the Kabbalah part or the I Ching. It was more of like synthesizing several systems and putting them all into one system. And that that was like the information he received in that meditation for several days was how to synthesize multiple systems that are ancient systems. So this happened in the 80s, but it wasn't like a I'm recreating the wheel. It was more of like I'm pulling all of these ancient modalities into one picture. And none of the words, like the words that are used throughout human design, they're all wild. It's like, what? Like, what does this mean? It's not like written in a way that's like real easy to understand. So I think I studied it for four years before. And I I did a reader's training with the International School of Human Design, which there's like one accredited, you know, and I'm using air quotes, accredited by like his family. I did that training before I ever brought it into my my work and my business because I was like, I don't know, this is a little a little freaky, but it's so accurate. So I'm curious how all of this, these kind of, I guess we haven't, it's crazy. We've gotten this far without even saying these words, but like woo woo kind of stuff like manifestation and human design. And I don't think Ayurveda is woo. I think it's like truly medical almost, but how will those things tie into slow living and sustainability for you? Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, it's funny to use that word woo woo. And obviously my podcast is called your woo woo best friend. So I use that word on the regular, but I, I think it's really about like, and this is what I wanted to do in my podcast. It's tapping into the things that really work for you and help you to slow down and live your truth, live your best, healthy, well life in which you're really taking care of yourself, the people around you, the planet. I think for me, I find that these types of practices like human design or like yoga and meditation or breath work or whatever it may be for some folks does feel quite woo. But I think that is the way to really tap more deeply into that slow living process to show up as a more sustainable human being. So that's that's what I've I've enjoyed diving more deeply into these woo practices to get into that place of being able to really have a slower, more intentional lifestyle. Yeah. And I think when you know yourself more and you know your own truth, I think it's much easier to be a little more immune to the marketing and the outside world, what their capitalism, you know, all of those things. All those things. Yeah. Which is how we're going to continue to exist on the planet if we want to, as a species, (laughs) we're going to have to stop buying things. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. To like now for me, from a place of like, what does success mean? Mm. It's about, am I having an opportunity? Have I created a experience for myself where I can live slowly, where I don't feel the need to be in the hustle and the grind, where I can live more minimalistically, where I can take less, give back more? That's really what success is to me now. And it took me many years to get there. And these woo practices we've been talking about helped me a ton in getting there. I think it also gives us an opportunity to visit other places in the brain that aren't so linear and logical and checking the boxes and living in our the world a way of life that's driven by visible evidence, if that makes any sense. And we just sort of practice going to those other places in our mind and, and, and playing around with these ideas and thoughts. And that's what helps us get, I think, more into the subconscious and that's where we're going to discover things and where things happen. And this linear 
logical, what we call reality-driven life, we're kind of getting into trouble with just that. Is that if that makes any sense? Yeah. There are limitations to creating an entire civilization along those lines. And we have evidence of many other civilizations and societies that were more inclusive of ritual and so practices that helped us get into our subconscious and these kinds of things that lasted a long time. It's fun and interesting to open your mind and your heart to these things, regardless of whether you think it's science fiction or it's made up or woo or whatever. It's fun and it's it can be valuable. Yeah, if you can take something from it that helps you to feel a little bit better and just show up in a little bit of a better way for yourself. Yeah, then. you don't just, you know, depart from your your normal life and, and go this way or that way. You can borrow from these things and use what's valuable to you. So, Andy, what does the good dirt mean to you? Mm, I love the good dirt. I love the good dirt. It means so many of the things that we've been talking about. It's getting out, putting my feet in the grass, you know, once a day and just getting that type of good dirt, taking good care of self through the things that I'm putting into my body, what I'm doing. I'm just showing up each day and how I appreciate what this gorgeous planet has to offer to us and you know and, and having conversations like this this is a good dirt conversation we're just like pulling up all the stuff like right out of you know down to the roots and just talking about things that have made a difference for us and I, I think that's what good dirt truly is all about I agree good answer what do you most want people to understand about the work that you do? Because you do a lot and you might have already said it in so many ways. But if you want to say anything else again, like what do you want people to take from this conversation? Yeah, I mean, the work that I do and what I what I want people to take away is my goal is that folks find my work and that they feel connected to a more radiant and well way of living and that that doesn't have to involve hustle and grinding, that you can live a slow life and still also have ambition for your future and for your family's future and for the planet. And I hope to be able to offer that to people in a lot of ways, whether that's through WeWe Studio, which you can find at O-U-I-W-E Studio. That's how you spell it if you're hearing it and you're like, what is that word? It's WeWe Studio. So whether it's through the studio or through the blog or through the podcast or the books, that's that's my intention for people. Awesome. So there's this book, Elemental, and you said you've written other books as well? Yeah, the book before Elemental is called Wonderful, and it's a off-the-beaten-path travel guide for really for female travelers interested in a kind of a more connected to nature and connected to creative spaces. There's nine road trips in the book. It's a lot of photography, and there are exact road trips, but it's also fun things to put on the radio, the playlist to listen to and movies to inspire you. So it's kind of a, a manual for just high vibe traveling. That's what that book is all about. It's fun. It's really fun. Actually, I know you guys can see me. It's the book right over my shoulder right here. That's wonderful. So that was the one that came before Elemental. And then I wrote a book and about 10 years ago about the history of fashion in New Orleans when I was living there and, and really involved in that community. So that book is called New Orleans Style. Mm hmm. And you mentioned your beauty line coming out. Is there anything you can tell us about that? Sure, sure. It's very Ayurvedic inspired. The line is called Casa Noon. And we're launching with three products. All of the products have fermented fruit and functional mushrooms. They're intended to be multitasking products. There's a AM moisturizer, an all-day serum, and then a night balm. And my intention is that those three products are really 
all you need for your skincare, that you really could have these three things in your cabinet and be good to go. They're really about creating those things that we talked about Ayurveda, about creating a nourishing experience for your skin and not taking anything away or stripping anything away, but really just nourishing the skin from a really holistic place. So it was really the brand that I always wanted and kind of dreamed of from my early beauty industry days and finally decided many, many years later from the start of my career in the beauty world that I wanted to bring it to life. So it'll it'll be out later this year. By the time this podcast comes out, it might be either out or even closer to coming out. Yes. Oh, I want to try it. That's wonderful. And you had a, a course on your website, a little course I thought I would take. It looks really fun. Yeah, there's some like recordings. There's some like really fun stuff to kind of just start to get into human design. And you can go so deep on human design. It's so cool. There's so much to get into. And my podcast is called Your Woo Woo Best Friend. It is all about practical, transformative conversations to help you live a more radiant life. I'm going to also listen to that. Wonderful. Yes. It's so nice to meet you and learn all about you. And I feel expanded. Back at you. Back at you. Thank you for your time. And we look forward to circling back around. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye.